Welcome to 39-Minute Conversations. Please wait for your host to begin this meeting. Your meeting is now being recorded. Okay, can you see me? Can you hear me? Hi. Wait. Hold on. We got it. Come on. We got this. Okay, black screen, but I hear oh. your voice. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Oh, God. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I changed my background uh, because the last time I did this, I was in my bedroom and I forgot that I, it was just messy. So okay. should I keep it? I mean, it's up to you. It, it's nice. It's a nice cabin. Um, it's very, yeah. it's very surreal. Is that a particular cabin that you chose on purpose? What is that so, background? This is a background that my friend and I used like a, two years ago for the Austin Film Festival virtual pitch competition. Okay. Um, to pitch our summer camp series, um, and we were in separate locations, and we just like really went all out with every single piece of it, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so this is just like one of my saved backgrounds and I, I like it. It's summery. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think I'm going to keep it. Let's keep it. I'm happy with it. If you're happy, I'm happy. I am Um, happy. I'm excited to chat with you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. But the first thing I do have to do is get through a quick ad read. I apologize. This is always so awkward, but these are so important, you know, very important, very real. This week's episode of 39 Minute Conversations is not technically presented by LinkedIn. Are you a writer on strike or an actor maybe about to be on strike? We'll see tomorrow night. Then you should try LinkedIn. The premier site for job seekers everywhere, which thanks to the AMPTP's unwillingness to negotiate, includes me and a lot of writers out there. Post your resume, browse for jobs, receive alerts for jobs that LinkedIn thinks will be right for you, but that you'll never hear back from. Want to open your email every day with your fingers crossed, hoping for some financial salvation that isn't coming? Want to be one of hundreds of applicants for the same low-paying job that in normal circumstances you'd have no interest in but that you now desperately need want to peruse jobs back home just for fun just to see jobs that you maybe could have had if you hadn't moved to los angeles to pursue an impossible dream imagine the stable career you could be in today the potential life you left behind the house you could have bought by now with the person you maybe should have married the two or three kids that don't exist because you decided it was more worthwhile to spend your 20s and 30s doing improv comedy in empty theaters and writing alone in your tiny apartment because you wanted to be charlie kaufman or some shit I mean, how bad would it really be if you never left your news producer job in your hometown? You probably wouldn't be on the overnight shift anymore. You'd probably be doing the 6 and 11, the big show. Would you be happy? I don't know, maybe. Maybe on a particularly tough news day, you'd wonder what would have happened if you gave your writing a shot. But then when you go home to a nice meal with your loving family and read your kids a story at night, maybe one that you wrote, that'd be enough. LinkedIn, every job a chance to existentially spiral about your life and career. And AMPTP, please come back to the negotiating table so I can stop thinking about this and get back to work. And hello, I am Brian T. Arnold, and this is 39 Minute Conversations, a podcast for reconnecting with old friends and making new ones 
but I've only got 39 minutes to do it because I will not be paying for Zoom Pro. My guest today is a narrative and documentary filmmaker whose feature screenplay, Margot and Perry, was selected for the Glad List and won the Launchpad Feature Competition. Her scripted comedy, Short Lenses, screened at film festivals all over the world and was selected for a month-long run at the IFC Center in New York City. She's also a seasoned improviser who played in house teams at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and The Pit, and she is the co-host of the podcast, They Thought I Was You, which re-examines the careers of Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen through a modern feminist lens. Please welcome Becca Roth. Hi. Hello, that Becca. That LinkedIn ad was so depressing and very well done. <laughs> and like what I think about all the time. Um, it's hard not to, right? Now more than ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so great job. Great job. <laughs> like, just like just like specifically hitting every single one of my anxieties that keeps me up at night. So I mean, mine too. I mean, mine too. Yeah. I, I apologize if I hit too close to home, but I think this is something that we are thinking about right now. And it yeah. kind of highlights... I think some similarities between us, you know, like, and I think a lot of people who pursue this kind of work, uh, which we will get into all of these, like, for example, we both have improv comedy backgrounds. We spent mm -hmm. a lot of our, which I I think I knew about you, but we haven't spent a lot of time talking about. No, I don't think we have really talked about it. I think I only know that about you because I actually like listen to this podcast sometimes and I know that you've talked about it, um, mm -hmm. but I don't think the time that we, I think we've only met in person like twice. Right? I think I think that is accurate. Yeah. We met once a few years back. You were still living in New York, but you were yeah. here for uh, an industry party that the host shall remain nameless. Uh, yeah. That we were, <laughs> but we both met at that party uh, for and talked for a little bit. Um, and then we met on the picket lines again um, a few okay. weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, probably like a month ago at this point. Yeah. Who knows anymore? But some some somewhere yeah. in that timeline of the strike, we saw each other again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I we've talked in those two times, but this will be the most this is the most FaceTime we've had since our yeah. friendship began. So I'm excited to get to know you uh better and uh become new best friends. Me too. Can't wait. Okay, good. <laughs> If you had said you weren't excited about it, we would have gone ahead and turned off the Zoom. Well, um, if I said I wasn't excited about it, then we'd have like a really nice arc in this because you'd have to convince me to be your friend throughout the whole thing. And then we'd end up being friends and that would give us more to go. So I mean, that's, maybe that's, I should have said that. Maybe, but you underestimate how quickly and easily I give up. Um, mm, so yeah. like if you had said that, I might have just, uh, okay, well, thank you for your time. Uh, I've wasted... 10 minutes of both of our lives okay I think that's healthy honestly I think trying to like beg someone to be your friend when they don't want to be your friend is like it's just really sad you know yeah but I, yeah I think you have, I do that though have I you, ever done that I was gonna ask that yeah is that does that um I think I'm a mix like I think that I sometimes like I think I will often like read that either like someone doesn't want to be my friend or like they already have friends whatever and I just like kind of like humbly step aside because mm -hmm. I'm just like who who do I think I am but then sometimes I have this anxiety of like oh like I follow this person on Instagram they don't follow me like I need to just be like really like um just really like just present and like it, just try to get them to like me basically because it's mm -hmm. like you would like me if you knew me so mm -hmm. like I have to, but it's like I need to not I need to not worry about that I don't know. Now that you say that, I, I I do think I have a little bit of that in me. Can I ask, are you a, are you a younger sibling? Are you the youngest? I sure am. I think I am too. And I wonder <laughs> if that's kind of where it comes from. Because I always feel like I have like little brother energy of mm -hmm. like, um, I feel like I'm I'm putting people like, 
I'm putting I'm putting people out by trying to hang out with them and like like I'm just kind of the hanger on Mm -hmm. Uh, but there are times when like I will just give an example I have a friend one of my best friends now I'll give I'll even shout her out Madeline Hernandez who like did not care for me at all when we first (laughs) met we were both writing for the same um, comedy show and like I I could and I could feel it I could feel that she was like she was like the cool kid in there and like making like snide little jokes and I was like but you're gonna like me by the end of this you will be my friend and it took me several years Um, but we are friends yeah I respect that and I totally get that because I think a lot of the time when it feels like people don't like you it's like you don't know me and like boy if you knew me like boy (laughs) are you missing out and so it's Mm -hmm. like my duty to like give them that experience and it's like they don't know otherwise (laughs) so yeah I get it but yeah definitely younger sibling very much so okay yeah um one thing that I usually start with on this podcast is um just sort of you know this I I started this podcast because of the pandemic blah 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 I was looking for something to do like creative from my own home and social and have some kind of social life again um and so I always like to start with the pandemic as much fun as it still is to talk about how 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 did you get through it how did you maybe change how is 2023 Becca different than say 2019 Becca? Wow. So I'm one of those people for whom the pandemic, like my entire life blew up and changed. Mm. So like I was married at the beginning of the pandemic and I was living in New York and by the quote unquote end, I don't think it has ended. Um, I agree with you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I was living in LA, divorced, like starting this new journey of like being a writer for real in earnest. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's like the big, the, the zoomed out version of it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think for me as a person going through that at that time, I like grew a lot and changed a lot and became incredibly introspective and just like really got in touch with like who I was and what I actually wanted and Mm. did this sort of like profound shift from like living a life that's like in reaction to what I think other people want from me to like what do I want and that's like the simplified like distilled version of it but it's like that's really like the big shift that I had because I think before that I I really just like I just like didn't trust myself I was like taught to not trust myself um Mm. not not necessarily like on purpose or anything that's just like the messages that I internalized forever and so I had to do this like massive blow up of my life and like um really examine that like every single day really um intently really um intentionally uh and so now, yeah, I'm like in a very different place than I was at the beginning of it. And I'm very, it was like the worst time of my life, but mm. um, I am very happy that it all happened the way that it did. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you can, came through that and landed somewhere that you're happy and, and want to be. Um, let's get into, before we talk writing stuff, strike stuff, all the things that are going on, I do, let's spend some time getting to know each other just as people, you know, right. you, just two people in the world. Um, yeah. You you were living in New York City for a while, and that's, yeah. you know, you were living there when we first met. Is that where you grew up? Are you from New York? I grew up, I grew up in New Jersey. I grew okay. up uh, like 12 miles west of Manhattan, so my grandparents lived in New York, so I would like spend a lot of time in New York. Um, so yeah, when I moved to New York after college, it was like 
I wasn't moving home, but like it was the city that mm-hmm. I grew up going to. Where'd you Where go to college? You You're from oh, West Virginia, right? I am from West Virginia. Right. I am. I know that from listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I went to Kenyon College. Okay. What did yeah. you, did you study film and TV or were you studying other things before you realized this is what you wanted to do? When I, so I went to a different college my first year. I went to the University of Rochester. I studied psychology. Um, and that's always what I feel like if I didn't do this, I would have done that. And I would mm-hmm. do this. I would do that if like this industry stops or something. Um, but I um, did that. And then when I transferred to Kenyon, I got really into like drama and like drama writing and everything. And I did like um, screenwriting classes and I did documentary making classes. And like, that was like the first time in my entire life, honestly, where I was like, oh my God, like, this is the thing. This mm-hmm. is the thing that I love to do. This is the thing I want to do forever. Like I've always wanted to like, I've always like been writing and like wanting to tell stories and stuff, but like that way of doing it in the form of like a film mm-hmm. was like, it just like really clicked for me as the thing that I am meant to be doing. You were writing as a kid. What kind of, yeah. do you remember something as a kid that you wrote that you're either like still proud of or extremely ashamed and embarrassed by <laughs> either one. I mean, I guess I'm embarrassed of all of it. Cause it was like, I was a kid. So like, sure. yuck, but like, I am proud of it. I'm proud of everything I wrote as a kid because no one asked me to do it. And I mm-hmm. like, I also had like undiagnosed ADHD and I'm very like, I'm a very interest based person. Like I really can't do something if I'm not interested in it. And so like, I like I didn't like doing my homework or anything but I would be like hyper interested in these like writing projects that I would set out to do for myself so like for for language arts in middle school we had to read like 25 books in the year and write a report um, in order to go on like a trip to like DC or whatever it was that year and I like couldn't do that like I like genuinely couldn't do that um but I didn't have like no one knew that I couldn't do that I just was like oh how about instead of that I'm gonna write a novel and my teacher was like great you're like so much more advanced than everyone else like you don't even need to bother with reading these books just like write your novel and I was like great (laughs) and so I like I loved doing that and I like started writing a novel in like seventh grade um, and I was like insanely interested and it was like the only thing that mattered um and then I lost interest because I do have ADHD um but I I did write like a good chunk of it and I really I really enjoyed doing that and I do come back to that sometimes when I like uh think about you know writing and my intrinsic motivation in doing that you could still finish that novel this could be like the boyhood (laughs) this could be like the boyhood of novels where you like yeah yeah. I do wonder if it's any good I assume it's not I mean of course not (laughs) I mean like maybe it's like impressive for a 13 year old maybe the most impressive part is that I wrote the entire thing by hand in a notebook like I cannot believe I did that I cannot write a single thing by hand anymore and it's probably because of that like I just like I I just my hand cramps up if I try to take any notes by hand now um I really can't do it um so yeah <laughs> okay, one thing from this conversation I wasn't planning on getting into, but yeah. you've you've piqued my interest a little bit and my my ears perked up. Uh your description of ADHD sounds a lot like me and something that oh. I have not been diagnosed I... with formally, but I have the same thing of like if yeah. this is not 
you know, I've worked a, a bunch of different jobs where I'm like, well, this isn't what I want to do. I, I'm barely going to function here. Yeah. Um, I've worked, you know, and like homework as a kid, like, yeah, I, I, whatever I'll, I'll get what, whatever grade I get on the stuff I don't care about. And then the mm -hmm. stuff I do care about, I'm really going to like, you know, I can, I can, I can put off writing for a while if I'm not feeling it or, and then I can write like a screenplay in 10 days, you know, yeah. is yeah. this, am I, do I have ADHD diagnosis? You do. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, So no, but honestly, like that does sound mm -hmm. like it. And I think it's hard for people who are like that. Like, I think it sounds like we're very similar um, in the way that we work and the way that we're motivated. Um, And I think that a lot of people who are like that, who have ADHD, it takes them a really long time to get to be motivated, to be diagnosed because like we are functioning, we are able to like create these systems to function in our lives. We've found careers mm -hmm. and like work habits and all of that, that like keep us going and that work for our brains. So it is really hard, especially like the ADHD for me, like as a girl growing up, like there's the hyperactivity part of it. That's like, you really see in boys and it's harder to see that in girls. Mm. Um, for girls, like for me, the hyperactivity was inside my brain. It was like, blah, 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 like all the time, like crazy. I was in my head. Um, mm -hmm. So it is, it is harder to um, diagnose ADHD when it like comes up in certain ways, but I would like, I'd be happy to like diagnose you. I feel like every time <laughs> I talk to friends about like my revelations of ADHD, like half the time they're like, oh, same. Um, and then, and then I, I help them along their ADHD journey. So um congratulations we might have to, <laughs> thank you so much we'll have to we'll have to dig into this more yeah uh, at a different point it was, this yeah. shouldn't be the whole podcast I mean if it is it's fine but yeah it, yeah it, I, 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 yeah <laughs> um okay so another, another thing we have in common we're running into all these things we have in common um let's talk let's talk improv let's talk yeah. you're you're doing improv in New York at the pit mm -hmm. and UCB yeah um how when did you first get into it why did improv appeal to you so the first time I did it was like 2008 like a really long time ago um I was still in college and I did it with a friend um we were both just like very like fun goofy like we make these little videos but I like I was like very crazy and outgoing with with people I consider to be like close friends and then like generally in the world I was like painfully shy mm. so like people would be like oh you want to do this with me like we're both fun and goofy whatever and it just like didn't translate so like I I took the like 101 UCB class and I was just like I was like that girl in the class who's on the back line when you're watching the show and you're like god like I'm I'm nervous for you. Like you're making me so uncomfortable. <laughs> like just get out there. Um, I was that girl in the class. And then um, and then I stopped for a while. And then I just sort of like was in my 20s, like grew into myself more as a person. Um, and then I started doing it again in 2014. That's when I like did all the levels at um UCB in the pit. And I just like had this like flip where I was just like, oh, like I totally understand why people are like addicted to this. Like I mm -hmm. just like absolutely loved it. I felt so free. I felt so just like, like the risk. I just feel like improv is so good. It's such a good therapy for people in so many ways. It's like you get so uncomfortable and you have to be comfortable with like taking risks, trusting yourself, like fucking up, like falling flat on your face, like trusting that people will be there to support you, like supporting other people, mm -hmm. trying stuff out. Like all of that was like, it was just so scary, but it was like the most freeing thing in the world. And I honestly think it was like a big piece of like my journey towards trusting myself as a person in life. Like I really mm. think that it helped me with that. Um, and I also think that I was like, good at it because I didn't care like I think um 
with like writing and directing and like all of that stuff, it's like, this is me. This is my career. This is what I'm doing. This is my right. identity. It all like matters but with improv. Like it was just like, I don't want to, this isn't like my, my real thing. Mm-hmm. So it was like less, um, less pressure. And it was just like very fun. Um, yeah. That's, that's yeah. interesting that you didn't fall into the pressure of it because I think I, I we're similar in that, like, yeah, I knew I moved to LA knowing I wanted to be a writer and hopefully yeah. director and performer to different degrees. Yeah. Um, but as soon as I got into improv, I was like, well, this writing I have to do for six months to a year before I know if it's any good that yeah. like, I'm, I'm getting my laughs, like, immediately I'm getting this instant validation I got like super addicted to improv I was barely other than sketch I was barely writing for a few years yeah um and then like improv became like I I never was on a house team but like the one year that I came closest to being on a house team I had like a callback for a herald and all these different Mm -hmm. things and didn't get on like I had like this emotional breakdown of just like I, I I was like I was at work and I just, I had to go to the bathroom and cry for a while. And then I, (laughs) and then I was like, I didn't move here for this. Yeah. And it's interesting that you never fell into that. And I wonder, it's it's what they say about like auditioning for a a movie or a show too, or a commercial or whatever you're auditioning for, like the less you care, or at least like, that's when you have like, you're freer to like be good probably. And that's, yeah. Yeah. And you hear that and it's, I'm, I'm grateful that I've had that experience to actually like show myself that that is true for me. I don't know where that comes from because I'm typically not like that. Like anytime when I was like in high school or college and I auditioned for anything, I would like freeze up. I'd get so stressed out. Like I just like, everything was the biggest deal in the world. And for some reason, improv was just this like gift of like, ease and this outlet and like it wasn't this high and I was surrounded by people who like we'd have house team auditions and people would just be like shitting themselves like Mm -hmm. just like so nervous like such high stakes like it could have easily been that way for me like I don't know actually why it wasn't like the your situation sounds very typical like it's like you get really into it like your whole life is about it like it there are very clear benchmarks like very clear goals to hit and then if you don't which like is also very typical like there are not that many spots and like whatever then it's like what the fuck have I been doing this for it's like this crisis mm-hmm. um I don't know like I don't feel like I sound like myself when I talk about what my improv experience was like because <laughs> it's so different from like how I normally am but um I wonder if that yeah. you make a good point I wonder if it is the like with our careers we've chosen there's no ladder. There's no step. Yeah. There's no clear steps. There's no clear path. With improv, at least, it's like, oh, you take these classes, you audition, you get this, and then you move up from this house team to a bigger house team to a Saturday right. night show, and like it felt more attainable, I guess, and right. more clear. So I yeah. wonder if that is sort of the pressure that people put on it because everything else is just so hard. It's harder to navigate. And you it's know harder I mean? to know when you've like quote unquote made it. Right. Here's what it is. The people who have chosen like the <laughs> career paths that we've chosen, mm-hmm. there is no like clear ladder you're climbing. Whereas in a lot of careers there is, it's like you right. start in this, you like raise the ranks, you get to middle management, like whatever it is. It's so boring. I'm falling asleep talking about it. But like, <laughs> it's like, but that's what people have. And so it's like, okay, like our version of that for a lot of people, it is like an improv theater. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, like I am like, doing the thing I am climbing the ladder I am doing what I'm supposed to do just like everybody else and then it's like when that doesn't happen it's like 
oh fuck, like what am I even doing? Whereas like with those other jobs in the job offices, it's like you do usually get there, I think, yeah. if you're like on the right track. So I think this is just another way for people like us doing these like unstable jobs to be like, wait, I can't even do this ladder that's like so cut and dry. Like, what are we even doing? And it's just like yeah. crisis. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, stepping back from the uh, pain and pressure of improv, <laughs> it is yeah. something it is something that in general I do recommend to to writers who like have any kind of performance bent. Um, you know, I don't regret my time in improv. I would probably do it again if I could have the kind of attitude that you have about it um but I do think it made me a better writer and I I think it's how do you think improv affected you know your day-to-day your writing your filmmaking that you well I I think that it makes everything a lot less precious I think that it's like I think when you're a writer especially when you're starting out you're like okay I have this idea it's brilliant it's amazing it's my little baby I'm gonna nurse it it's like everything and it's like it puts so much like such high stakes on like one thing and you like you have it just it's so stressful like every but with improv it's like everything is toilet paper like you just throw out a million ideas Mm -hmm. they all get forgotten like none of it matters um and that's like incredibly freeing because it just shows you that like you don't have to like be precious about your ideas like more will come Mm -hmm. and like holding on to your ideas and waiting for them to be perfect it doesn't guarantee that it's going to be a perfect thing. It's like, it's always like, it could always be hit or miss, like just keep going, like stay in the game. Like don't wait in the wings until like the perfect time. It's like when you're doing improv, you have to like keep generating ideas, Mm -hmm. like keep building upon stuff. So that's one part of it. I think it's also just like the collaborative nature of it um, and trusting other people. Like I think that a lot of people who are creative, like either see themselves as like inadequate or like everyone else around them is an idiot. And like, I'm this gentle genius, like whatever. But like in improv, like you really have to like, collaborate with everybody and you have Mm -hmm. to like trust people and like your your scene partner's a genius like how do you support them like there's just so much as a writer that I think it benefits um yeah I I think think, go ahead no keep going I I was just gonna like writers like I just think the main thing is that it like it makes your ideas less precious and it just shows you yeah I think that's definitely true and I think another big thing with it that uh you made me kind of think about is you know, I, I you see a lot of writers who do think their one idea, like this idea is precious, will start, will kind of deal with doubt with, they'll get a little paralyzed by like right. this choice, this next thing has to be like, you know, they're so like, so concerned with the story map and making sure, and like with improv, if you're, if you're like, oh yeah, just make a choice and go. And if it's wrong, right. exactly. then you can go back. But like, I, I, exactly. I don't really, even when I outline, it's much more like, yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, <laughs> like yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah, I think that comes from improv to a degree. Yeah. And I think it also like, just like taking the pressure off it is just a healthy thing to do. Like, I think mm-hmm. that you can also be a better writer if you, if it's all so much less serious, like if you just take the pressure off, like the preciousness of an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. With improv, you just like have to keep creating, have to keep generating. Also, like you are setting yourself up to fail every single time you step out there and you mm-hmm. probably will, and you're not going to die. So like every time you do something stupid and you make a dumb move and your teammates help you or like whatever it is, and you like, don't fail, you don't die. That's just like more practice in your body of like, I've tried something, I've taken a risk, I've like expressed this weird idea in my head and like either it went really well and it paid off or I fell flat on my face and I'm here bowing with my team and I'm coming back next week and it's fine. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, I think that also is like 
very healthy to practice yeah. that. Yeah. I, I had a class with, uh, I took a class from Eugene Cordero. I don't know if you know him, but he's yeah. great, great improviser, uh, UCB guy, acts and tons of stuff now. He's blowing up. Uh, but I remember somebody asked him, like, you know, do you ever feel nervous out there? He's like, no, sometimes you have a bad scene. And like, what the fuck do you want from me? I just made it up. Like, and, yeah. that's, and that's such a beautiful, yeah. freeing thing. Yeah, it's so true. I think that like the version of me that was like the quiet girl in the back line is like, the writer, you know, like, mm-hmm. who's just like, how am I going to do this? Like, how am I going to like perfectly do this? Like, I'm so nervous, like so, so nervous, so nervous, so nervous, never gets out there. Like so worried about perfection that she doesn't do anything as opposed to like the improviser who like goes out there makes a fool of themselves and like does their best and like, they're fine. Have so. you thought about getting back into improv out here? Yeah, I, I took, um, the f- basic level of the groundlings, um, mm-hmm. And then I was going to do the next level and I got COVID. Um, but uh, so it's been like months until I was able to like take another one. But I'm, I am starting uh, the next level, the Groundlings in August. Cool. Yeah. And UCB, like I already did all the levels. I just have to like, I do, I would like to audition for a team again at UCB. Um, I was on a Lloyd team. Lloyd team is like the JV. Yeah, we have, we, we have them here yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I got on to it like a week before COVID. <laughs> so I never got to actually do it. I was on house teams with the pit for a while, but I never actually got to do my house to my UCB. Gotcha. So I would love to do it. Yeah. The pit doesn't exist anymore, right? Unfortunately. Um, they actually they do still exist. Oh, good. Um, they have like their main have you ever been to the main pit space? I think York? so. I've only been to the pit. I did uh NYC Sketch Fest in like 25, 2015, I think. Uh-huh. Um, and so I played like two or three theaters, like that were all pit related or that pit, the pit had rented out. So I'm not positive what all I played, but I think. Okay. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, they used to have like this really, like probably like, the best physical theater in New York that I've ever been to for improv it was like a really nice theater. Um, and they closed like right when COVID hit and, but they do have one other theater, um it's is that the, the one with the with the bar I, the loft sounds familiar the one with the bar is the one that's closed now okay um, that one I was one, at I do remember yeah. that one I I'm not really like in on what's going on in New York right now they're like I don't sure. know if they're doing I don't know if they're doing like uh the school anymore or what like I know UCB is reopening in New York now yeah. but um the pit I I don't know if there were house teams as well honestly I kind of like left that's okay just, like, you're you're away like, yeah. now you don't need it <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Um, I want to get into, we only have 10 minutes left already. That's oh, just going to buy so fast. I know. Um, you're in addition to being a narrative filmmaker, you're a documentary filmmaker. Yes. You, um, you've directed over 50 shorts for let's win Patri- pancreatic, let's win pancreatic cancer, which involves yes. traveling the country, interviewing long-term pancreatic cancer survivors. How did you end up doing that work? And it seems like very emotional work. How does that? It, yeah, uh, it is emotional, go? but it's also like pretty amazing and inspiring and I actually feel like my view of pancreatic cancer is pretty skewed because I I only interview long-term survivors so mm-hmm. I feel like it's this very like you know hopeful great thing but anyway um I um I got this job because I was working for a different dot company in New York like six seven years ago and I was just like recommended for it by the people that I was working for um so I didn't um like set out to do like pancreatic cancer documentaries mm-hmm. and I did not know that it would last this long like I've been doing it for six years and it's been like one of my main like bread and butters uh mm-hmm. in that time which is like I'm very very grateful for as a writer to like have a a job 
job that's like sure. consistent and like not actually full time. Like it's yeah. it's like pretty amazing. And like I'm still Sounds using, like nice. skills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how long it'll last, but like I can't believe it's lasted this long. Honestly, I'm very grateful. But um, but yeah, like that's how it came to be. It was just like a recommendation. I thought it was gonna be a shorter term thing. Um, but I yeah, I really like it. Like I love traveling, I love like meeting all the people doing it. I love like having the practice all the time. Like I love like having to like keep those like skills, you know, oiled and like mm-hmm. editing and filming and directing and everything. And um yeah, it's like a good, it's a good little gig. And let's talk about your other you did a feature documentary in 2014. One, yeah. a story of love and equality, which was about the a heated political debate around a marriage amendment in North Carolina. Yeah. And it came out, like I said, in 2014, which was like a year yeah. before gay marriage was legalized in all 50 yes. states. Yes. Um, you know, you're you're an out queer woman. Mm-hmm. What is it like going to the front lines of that kind of debate and one that is so personal to you? Yeah, I mean, I filmed this in 2012. So it was 11 years ago at this point, which feels like a lifetime wow. ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, it was... It was hard. Um, I think, I mean, the main thing that was hard, honestly, at the time was like, like our, I had a very idealistic view of all of it. Like I was young, it was like pre, Mm -hmm. like it was before everyone was like radicalized, I feel like. So it was like, you know, like if only they saw like that we're real people, then like, they'll be great. Like everyone's just misunderstood, like whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, like a very nice sentiment. I I think it's more complicated than that now, but um, yeah. But, like, the main thing for us at the time was, like, we just, like, weren't able to get people who were anti-gay marriage to talk to us because they Mm. were very suspicious that we were trying to paint them in a bad light. And Mm -hmm. I actually was, like, trying to, like, understand them. Um, But, yeah, there were some parts that were really hard. Like, there was one couple that we interviewed that were, like, super, like, tea party, um, really, like, had these, like, really, really harmful views um, on gay people and we didn't, I did, I made this with my girlfriend at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. and we didn't like come out to them. Um, and just some of the stuff that like we were hearing was like incredibly hard. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think I just was like compartmentalizing it all at the time. Like, I think Mm -hmm. I like made myself sort of withstand like really hateful things that people were saying for like the good of the mission that I was on and trying to like get people to love each other and understand each other. Um, I was able to somehow get through it. It probably damaged me deeply in a way that I like haven't <laughs> examined yet, sure. but, um, <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, it's cool. I'm, I'm just like, I think it's cool that I did that. That's one of the things that I look back on when I'm trying to like motivate myself to do certain things now. And just like the slog of like, you know, trying to like have this career is like, you just like graduated college and like went to the south and made a feature like that's mm-hmm. like like look what you can do so like that's like the main thing it does for me now do you have trouble motivating yourself obviously we've discussed the ADHD thing but at the same time you know from the outside from just a a, a, a soon to be best friends perspective <laughs> you you know you're winning screenwriting contests you have a bunch of short films you work for this other short film you've made 50 documentaries on short documentaries on uh, pancreatic cancer survivors it seems like you're very prolific and very motivated um so is that something that you do struggle with um i mean i am very motivated by like creativity like i i'm just very motivated by my ideas like if i get an idea that i'm very excited about i'm like 
just like obsessed and I just like have to do it. And that is a symptom of my illness. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, but it's not, it's less so like motivating myself to actually do the work because I do actually really enjoy it. I really love like writing a screenplay that no one's asking me to write and like mm -hmm. that kind of thing, just cause I'm like very, I just love doing it. Um, I think it's more like just, you know, all the like top level insecurity things of like mm -hmm. looking around at people around me, like people I went to school with or like people who are younger than me, whatever, who are like, you know, like have their own shows or who are like really fucking killing it, like whatever. It's like that kind of thing. It's like, that just makes me sort of like doubt myself in a way that I don't enjoy. And then mm. like, just to sort of like, remember that like, I can do this. I've been doing it. Like, it's okay. Like everyone's on their own path. Like, yeah, it's hard. It's like, it's, it's hard to like be in LA and like, see what other people are doing and like, not compare yourself, you know, it's, like that's yeah. like the main thing and it's not healthy, but, um, but it's hard to do, to not I, do. No, I a hundred percent agree with yeah. that. Um, we don't have a ton of time left, but I, we would be remiss if we did not get into, uh, your podcast, which <laughs> is They Thought I Was You, a podcast mm -hmm. that recontextualizes and explores the careers of the Olsen twins through a modern feminist lens. Mm -hmm. Why the Olsen twins? Well, so this is, uh, I made this, I've, I'm making this with my friend Lanny. Um, we just both are like lifelong mega fans of Mary-Kate Ashley. Like, we were both just like obsessed with Mary-Kate and Ashley growing up. We were introduced as friends because of our obsession. Mm. Um, and then we just sort of were like, oh, let's do a Mary-Kate and Ashley thing. And it wasn't like gonna be as deep as it is. Like it's pretty, it's pretty in depth. Like it's very, it's like an examination of mm -hmm. like, women in pop culture like how girls are treated how girls were treated at the time how girly interests are not taken seriously like that kind of thing so I think for us it's like we have this like extensive knowledge of this very specific niche thing mm -hmm. and we really enjoy talking about it we have a lot of like really loyal listeners that just like are very big American Ashley fans and because we're such experts on them it's like a really solid vehicle for us to like explore kind of like the greater landscape of like women in Hollywood at the time mm -hmm. now all of that so we are we are um like examining every single thing they've ever done everything they've ever said like every single piece <laughs> of it um but then once we're done with that if we ever are um we're gonna like expand to like women in pop culture through a Mary-Kate and Ashley lens basically Interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it is very in depth. I'm about an hour into the When in Rome episode, which doesn't oh. seem to be your favorite. Which doesn't seem to be we your favorite. Hate when in Rome. <laughs> yeah, I would not recommend that one actually. Um, but uh, yeah, When in Rome is so bad. We actually yesterday we recorded an episode on the Lizzie McGuire movie, which is the very first time we've done anything that is not Mary Kate Ashley. Oh, um, taking a because risk. It is, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's set in Rome and it happened at the same time. And they both have love interest named Paolo. Like, there's a lot of parallels. So we have to. <laughs> sure, of um, course. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we have about a minute and a half. So the first thing, so I do want to give you this opportunity before we run out of time. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug? Where can people follow you? Uh, yeah, you, you can follow me on Instagram at Becca Roth. You can follow me, I guess, on threads. Threads um, now? Sure. <laughs> uh, at the same. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Becca underscore Roth. And yeah, that's really it. I'm working on a lot of things that I can't talk about yet, but I'm very excited about. And hopefully you'll see them someday. <laughs> uh, if you had, if you, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned pursuing this career? 
Um, the biggest lesson I've learned pursuing this career is that um, you just have to kind of like stay in your own lane and like focus on what you're doing, continue to focus on why you want to be doing this and trust yourself, your worth, your vision, your stories, um, because like no one else is going to do that for you. I know that maybe sounds generic, maybe sounds generic, but it's like, you have to like hang on to that sense of self and you're like, um, deservingness of, of being here and doing the thing. What do you think um, happens when we die? So, um, I'm really uh, nervous about being cut up. I know that's what happens because I've listened to this. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but I think what happens when we die is that whatever you think your meeting has ended goodbye thank you for listening to 39 minute conversations hosted and produced by brian t arnold music by kevin mcleod licensed under creative commons by attribution 4.0 license if you like what you heard please subscribe and tune in for new episodes and don't forget to rate and review if you didn't like what you heard please don't do any of that that's okay too Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and be well.